Hi, welcome to the Bioinformatics Chat. Today I'm speaking with Filippo Castiglione. Hi, Filippo. Hi, Juan. So, Filippo, I know you from your work on modeling the immune system, and this is what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, I have to say that uh, this topic is very apropos for me right now because both my son and I have a cold, so the things we will probably be discussing are quite literally happening inside me right now. But what is what is your background? What brought you to study the immune system? So I'm a computer scientist. Uh, it uh, just happened by chance that I met Franco Celada at the time I was uh, choosing for my baccalaureate thesis at the Department of Computer Science in Milan a lot, long time ago. I was interested in artificial intelligences and this kind of things, which are the usual things people get, you know, enthusiast about when, he, when they are computer scientists, students. But then I met uh, uh, Celada and um, the, the, the whole project about simulation of the immune system looked like an artificial life kind of, you know, uh, uh, paradigm to explore. So I, I, I liked that very much. So I started to, you know, be involved in the discussion. And in the end, I accepted to do my baccalaureate thesis on, uh, on this topic. So how long did it take you as a computer science student to really get comfortable with the immune system? Because I hear from medical students that immunology is one of the toughest subjects they have to master. So Yeah, it took a long, a long time because uh, um, the, the real problem was not just the complexity of the immune system because, I mean... As a computer scientist, we, we somehow are used to handle with complex system. The point is that, uh, the, the language which is used uh, is completely different and that the background is completely another type of background. So it was basically impossible to follow and to learn things in immunological books, for example, because of all those uh, experimental details and so on. And also the, the, the mindset is different because uh, uh, they do not come from biologists. I mean, they are less quantitative. They tend to be proximative uh, most of the time. So we are used to think and speak and reason in a different way. So this was a major problem uh, when I uh, first started. And But with the years, I learned to appreciate the the other way of thinking because it's the only way to cope with this enormous complexity if you stop and look uh, into the details uh, at every single bit of information you you'll never reach uh, any conclusion so you have to to do some big leaps and uh, the, so i learned to do these big leaps myself but it took time and and of course the vocab vocabulary is different and uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's that's a really good point about the language and vocabulary and in general this very qualitative uh, description of this process. And I have to say that I actually learned a lot about the immune system just by reading your papers and Chilada's papers, which make a lot of these things much more precise. And of course, this is still an approximation. This is still a model, uh, but it really sort of allows you to focus on the essential interactions between the, the various agents there. And so when you met uh, Chilada and started working with him, what year was it? It was 92. Oh, it was 92. So that was exactly the year when uh, when Chilada's paper was published. And uh, yeah. so I'll, I'll link to the paper in the show notes, but this is, I think, one of these classical papers that introduced a lot of the notions that we will be uh, discussing today. That was uh, Chilada and uh, Seidel, is that right? Seiden. Seiden, yeah. Uh, so um, a, a computer model of uh, cellular yep. interactions uh, in the immune system. Uh, are you familiar with the history before that paper? So I understand that before that paper, people used to model the immune system in terms of 
differential equations, probably because the, the computers weren't as widespread back then. How, how did those models work? And do, do they have sort of a reason to exist today? Can, can, can we apply them today or are they completely obsolete? Yeah. So the, the, the point is that uh, what the Chelada and Sidon did was completely new at the time and it's still uh, an approach which is uh, followed by not so many people. The, the point is that in the research in theoretical immunology was uh, at the beginning and uh, people were facing a number of different questions. So with the usual or classical way of modeling things, they were writing system of differential equations, for example, to solve or to understand a specific piece of the whole picture. Now, the novelty of the approach of uh, Sidon and, and Celada was that they tried to build a model of the immune system in its, its whole complexity, entire complexity, of course, in a very approximate uh, way, but they tried to put the main ingredient of the whole soup. This was completely novel, and it was possible basically for a combination of reasons. The first, as you said, was the computational power was, uh, I mean, reached a certain level. Previous work have identified the concept of diversity as a very important in the immune system, and there were already models, in particular of Packard and Perelson, and, um, and remember the, the third guy, uh, they published a paper in which uh, uh, they used binary strings to represent the specificity of the receptors in cell surface of lymphocytes, right? So this concept was the main concept that, that Franco Celada and Phil Seiden uh, borrowed from existing literature and they implemented something on powerful computers in a way which was novel. So the, the, the third thing which was uh, important in this process was the fact that Phil Seiden as an astrophysicist was uh, uh, used to handle uh, this complexity in, uh, in a dis in discrete way uh, by using the concept of cellular automaton, uh, cellular automata, which was also somehow new at that time. So he built with his knowledge uh, a, a model of the immune system, the, the way he used to build models of uh, galaxy formations. And he was guided by Franco Celada, who was an immunologist, who spent a lot of years at the age of theoretical immunology. So he was pushing new concepts into Phil Seiden's programming while he was programming IMSIM. So this is the way I, I, I see the whole genesis of this, uh, this thing. Very interesting. So give us a general overview of uh, Chilada's uh, Chilada's and Sidon's original uh, model. What are the main actors in the immune system yeah. that they try to model and how do they interact? All right. So at, at the time they built this, uh, this immune system model, uh, few concepts of immunology, uh, theoretical immunology were, were still, you know, under debate. Uh, for example, the fact that uh, the adaptive immune uh, system would uh, uh, benefit from cell cooperation was not to be taken for granted. I mean, it was something new. That the, so the role of antigen-presenting cells, for example. And the other thing was the theory of clonal selection by Bourneau has, has already been, let's say, enunciated, but uh, there were no model somehow empowered in its uh, uh, complexity. And so they, taking this idea of uh, modeling with binary strings, the receptors, let's say, chemical-physical properties, uh, they were able to implement a model of the clonal selection in which many different pathogens could have been uh, modeled at the same time. So it was general model, while the rest of the immune system model at that time was basically 
writing an equation for a specific pathogen. They were not able to accommodate for more than one. This, mean, this means basically that the, those models, equation-based, were not able to cope with the concept of cross-reactivity. So this was instead uh, one of the major uh, feature of the Chaladasidan who implemented, therefore, a population of lymphocytes of different classes. There were B cells and T cells and uh, professional antigen-presenting cells like macrophages. And these cells were all equipped with the specific receptors, which then was selected by the a specific pathogen they were injecting artificially into the system. So this this was the novelty. Being able to embrace the complexity of immune response somehow in, in a more comprehensive way, I would say. Right. So in Chilada's paper, we have uh, three types of cells, right? You mentioned so B cells, T cells, and... Uh, antigen-presenting cells, and uh, the pathogen is modeled as just antigens, and there are also antibodies. How do these agents interact with each other? Right. Okay, so the model is a cellular automaton, or it's an extended version of cellular automaton, because it's probabilistic first, and secondly, the concept of uh, neighboring neighborhood of a certain lattice site is a generalized version of it. So some people call it a hypercellular automaton. Uh, nowadays people call it an agent-based model. Okay, so basically you have a discrete uh, um, description of of what a cell is. It's an agent. Okay, and this agent is free to move on on a certain description of a volume of the or the space and this agent is free to meet and uh, interact with the other okay with other cells which are other agents now this interaction is made in two ways if it's specific it is made through the binary string matching which is reproducing what happened in reality when two molecules bind together. This is what, this is by immunology is called forming the immunological synapses between two cells. So they get in contact, the receptor shake hands, they bind, and then other, other molecules bind on the uh, two surfaces, I mean, between the surfaces of these two cells. And while they are bound, they signal they signal each other through cytokines and this kind of things. So this biological phenomena were implemented in a very, let's say, of course, approximated way in the Chaladensiden model through this concept of binary strings matching and with probabilistic events. So when the match was perfect between two strings, then the probability of having a follow-up event would have been very high. But the match could also be unperfect, so not perfect, and this would be equivalent to a, a smaller probability to interact. Okay, so all this was at the, at the core of the model, and therefore the, the execution, a run of the simulation, would have been the equivalent of... Uh, a series of stochastic event moving the system from one state to another state in a stochastic way. And so this was uh, Chilada's paper, but that year you also wrote your bachelor thesis with Chilada. So what was your contribution back then and how did the model, how did you evolve the model in the next uh, 25 years? Yeah. So at that time, uh, the model in SIMU was written in uh, APL, which was an IBM proprietary, proprietary language, which was very complex. Uh, Sidon was, uh, was a real expert in APL, but it, it really prevented, uh, it was clear even in their mind that they 
prevented the dissemination of, of this model. So my contribution, the first contrib- contribution was to uh, implement a specific function in APL, that was my bachelor thesis, to model the high permutation phenomena, okay? So with that, I did my uh, study and I, I closed it there, my bachelor. But later on, I decided to code the, to recode the whole uh, IMSIM model in C language. So I did it. And uh, in the year after, I just moved on uh, improving it and customizing the model to accommodate for specific pathologies and uh, this kind of thing. So my contribution started as a, as a mere porting of the code and then evolved in my, I would say, main scientific interest, which was applying the model to different pathologies. Yeah. And of course, in the, in, in, in the meanwhile, I was also concerned with the performance and this computer science thing, like having a simulation, being able to run efficiently and uh, increase the space, increase the number of cells and increase everything. So this is what I did later on. Yeah, and you mentioned the APL or APL2 programming language, and I think many people just don't appreciate how sort of weird and and exotic that language is. And I say this as a fan of exotic languages myself. Uh, So I imagine it was uh, quite overwhelming for you having to learn both the the basics of immunology and and the APL language. I think most programmers and computer scientists have barely heard of APL, let alone know it. So, yeah, what, what was it like for you to dig into this APL code base? Yeah, it was really a nightmare. I mean, I was too young to uh, to be able to, you know, uh, take it as a, just as a challenge. And of course, you can imagine as a bachelor student, you want you have limited time. So I I couldn't spend uh, too much time learning APL. But likely there were other people uh, around me which helped me in uh, writing this piece of code that I had to write. And in the end. Uh, it wasn't too long. I mean, uh, although APL is a very compressed language, so that even 100 lines of code uh, can do unbelievable complex things, I had a hard time writing this 100 lines of code. But I, I, there was a person who helped me in this, so I wasn't alone. And uh, it was it, it has been very difficult, because as you said, I had to understand immunology and uh, actually i was i i proposed to implement this specific uh, biological phenomena of hypermutation so i had to pick this specific thing and uh, implement it in an uh, architecture which was very complex because the the system itself once i traduce, translated in c it was the equivalent of 20000 lines of code more or less so in APL, it was shorter, but APL is really complex. So it is exotic as a language. You have to imagine that you need a special mask to put on your keyboard because it yeah. <laughs> uses special characters. So that's really crazy. So let's talk about hypermutation. So um, I, I think hypermutation refers to the uh, mutation of uh, B cells and probably T cells as well. Um, and uh, there, there is a lot of biological complexity to it, right? There is this uh, VDJ recombination and stuff. How closely do you try to model that phenomenon? Do you just generate random bit strings or do you try to model the whole... Um, genetic, uh, you know, recombination and mutation? No, no, no. There's no genetics in MSIM. I mean, the, the mole- molecules are binary strengths, and as a such, they are treated during all simulations. So the hypermutation was basically the random flipping of one bit in the uh, paratope of the B cell, which changed his ability to recognize a certain pathogen. So my my uh, uh, interest at the time was to 
to model a, a virus which was mutating on its own and uh, to understand how hypermutation would have uh, speed up or increase the ability of the immune system to catch this changing mutation. Uh, uh, sorry, yes, this changing uh, antigen, like HIV. And in fact, starting from there, uh, I later on uh, studied the HIV, which uh, had the same uh, dynamics uh, or the same characteristics in terms of a dynamics problem. So it was never considered a problem that um, this sort of naive mutation may not be biologically realistic and maybe you would get like more realistic, more precise results if you, if you try to reproduce the biological processes related to mutation more accurately? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we never, we never reached that uh, details of, of having realistic genes for a, a reason which is very simple, that the information is too huge to be represented. I mean, although agent base allow you to follow only those variables which are uh, involved in the immune reaction, the model still has to represent the whole repertoire. So if you, if you want something which starting from the genetic level reaches the real complexity of an immune system, I mean, it, it's not possible with, uh, with the computers, even gigantic computer like, giant computer like those which are able today. So, once you move into the space of binary string, you have a convenient way of representing information and you can, you can shrink the whole space to uh, reasonable numbers so that your computers are still able to, to run the simulation. And, and also, I mean, if you want, you can always say that by increasing the binary string, you can always increase the real uh, complexity. You, you could, in principle, in theory, reach the real complexity of the immune system, but you will never do because you would need too much computer power than you, you can possibly have. So in your papers, I saw references to both uh, C-IMSIM, which is presumably IMSIM written in C, and also PAR-IM, which is presumably a parallel implementation of this. So what is the relationship between these two things? Are, are they different versions of the same program? Are they different programs? What is their current status? So PARIM was basically uh, the, the, the implementation of IMSIM in MPI. So actually first we implemented the uh, with PVM, which was, uh, let's say, uh, a library to implement message passing um, in C. And uh, I did this thanks to the help of Massimo Bernaschi, who was at that time working for IBM and uh, developed the IBM version of PVM. So for him, it was an exercise for me was uh, an excite, exciting challenge to start programming a, a parallel um, uh, software and um, but basically the relationship between simsim and parim is that parim is simsim plus all co uh, code which is needed to exchange messages between uh, processors so it's the same basically piece of code. Later on, I had to abandon the parallel uh, code because it was too difficult to cope with um, uh, the implementation of biological details and the implementation of the parallel code at the same time. It was too difficult. So I decided that I wanted to focus on, on the biology and uh, I just uh, left the computational complexity aside 
although later on I came back to that task uh, uh, many times and for example now the the Insim version is multi-thread so it's able to it is parallel somehow it's able to uh, exploit the the fact that the process modern processors have more cores so basically they are parallel machines um yeah so this is this is the relationship between the two the two things yeah i think we should uh clarify for uh listeners uh as you many don't know but pvm i think it stands for parallel virtual machine virtual and yeah. and uh, MPI is a message passing interface, and basically MPI exactly. was used. Uh, I think it's, it's still used nowadays uh, somewhere, uh, but it was used uh, before as a way to implement parallel software that ran on multiple computers simultaneously. Right, whereas right now we've got uh, more powerful processors, we've got uh, more RAM, and so. Nowadays, parallel programming usually boils down to just parallelizing within a single machine, right? So you move from the architecture, which was distributed over multiple machines, maybe in the cluster or in a grid, to the architecture. Right. It's still parallel, but it's uh, confined within a single computer. Right, exactly. Yeah, the, the only uh, things I would add to what you said, which is perfectly correct, is the fact that while MPI, but in principle PVM as well, allowed the process to be split on different machines with different memory, where the current version of IMSIM, which is multi-thread, inherently has to use this, the, the memory which is on the same machine. So this is called the shared memory uh, paradigm, which is different than distributed memory. But perhaps these are details. A couple of uh, things about the the model itself. So first, I have to disagree or at least argue uh, with with you and Chilada and Sidon about calling this model a cellular automaton because uh and uh, I think Chilada and Sidon themselves point to an example of uh, Conway's game of life as a sort of classical and well-known automaton is basically a grid where each cell is a living thing that can either be born or die depending on the number of neighbors that uh, alive neighbors that it is surrounded by and uh, i think the core difference between uh, something like conway's game of life and m sim is that in MSIM, there are cells or molecules which migrate from one cell to another, and therefore you have this invariant that if something leaves a cell to a neighboring cell, it can only leave to one neighboring cell, right? Which sort of contradicts this paradigm that the next state of a cell is determined solely by its neighbors, right? So if you imagine yeah. two cells, A and B, both neighbors of C, and C currently has some kind of uh, cell, like a, an immune cell in it, so C may migrate either to A or to B, but not simultaneously to A and B, that, that would be uh, reproduction, right? But assuming it doesn't reproduce, it just yeah. migrates. Uh, and so... Because A and B are not necessarily neighbors themselves, right? They do not know how to evolve themselves, right? They have to depend on C supplying this token either to A or to B. And I think this is a pretty important difference between cellular automata and this. I, I think I, I like the agent-based model more yeah. because it underscores that we're modeling the agents themselves, so the cells and molecules, and not necessarily the uh, the cells in which in which they reside. Cells, uh, sorry, the uh, the um, sort of grid cells, right, or these uh, squares, sites, sites, yeah. So, and uh, I think you even wrote something about efficiency there, right? So, in order to make this more efficient, you you had to move to modeling the agents themselves and and not sites because. Uh, keeping track of all sites was not memory efficient. Is, is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, what would you say? I perfectly agree with you, and I remember I had a discussion with Phil. But the pro the point is that um, the 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 view of Sir Automata has changed from 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 those years to now, and they have evolved into something which are now called agent base for this reason, because many of the constraints in the definition of cellular automata were actually uh, removed, and people were writing algorithms in the way they liked it, and so they nowadays people call agent base or cellular automata the same thing, taking for granted that uh, the strict definition of cellular automata does not apply anymore. I mean, no one use life to make a model of biolo biology or physics, whatever, anymore. I mean, it they will certainly change something in that definition. So the concept of neighborhood and so on and so forth. There is one discrete model, which is... Uh, probably more close to this uh, IMPSIM uh, uh, vision of cellular automata, which is the lattice gas. In, in a lattice gas, you have more particle residing in each site, while in a cellular automata, you would have only one point, only one cell in a site. So diffusion and interaction would overlap somehow. It would be difficult to, you know, say... Uh, uh, to describe in those formal terms what was diffusion, what was interaction. But in the lattice gas, there were two different steps of the algorithm. There was a moment in which cell would diffuse and there was a moment in which cell would interact. And uh, interaction was local in each site. So this view of discrete, uh, building discrete modeling uh, it's uh, very much in line with the general paradigm of uh, serial automaton. And uh, in fact, Wolfram, who uh, was one of those who made serial automata uh, famous, he wrote a book uh, with the name, uh, with the title, A New Kind of Science. So it was a shift in the paradigm in general. Uh, so it's better not to be too much attached to the, the definition because what was very powerful was the idea that you could model things using a computer rather than solving differential equation, which was the way to do until that time. So now we have two ways of simulating reality. One is by solving differential equation with the numerical schemes and the other one is to representing thing in a cellular automata fashion or in an agent-based fashion. Those are two, let's say, complementary paradigm in, in simulation now, in physics, in biology, in every complex science, basically. Yeah, so one of my objections to the uh, to calling this a cellular automaton is, uh, as you said, just based purely on the mathematical definition. But there's also a second one, which is by moving from differential equations, which is a completely continuous model and completely sort of aggregate-based model, to cellular automata, we introduce not one, but two discretization steps. So we have discrete agents which move between sites, but also the sites themselves are discrete. And I think this second discretization step, it, it seems to me as completely superfluous, right? If, if yeah. we have uh, discrete molecules and discrete cells, uh, but they can perfectly well have continuous coordinates and they can move like based on uh, some kind of gas model they can move continuously and still we have a discrete model and we can model all the discrete interactions so is there any any reason to have these discrete sites and not just assign numeric coordinates to the agents no, the only reason, I mean, you're perfectly right. Um, uh, I can, I can tell a couple of things. The first is that agent base of today are not restricted to a discretization of space. As you said, they have continuous coordinates. And in fact, many models represent cells as volumes 
in their coordinate and and uh, they are much better in uh, representing for example the forces uh, which uh, push one cell against the other and to create tissues and they are very nice models so true i mean you can't call those agent based cell automaton because they are they are too far away from that mathematical definition the second thing that I want to say is the fact that at the time Sidon built this model, he was somehow inclined to use a discrete space because uh, he was coming from modeling of galaxy, very sim- similar to biological tissue, if you want. And he was using a language, APL, in which vectors and arrays were the main uh, data uh, structures. So it was much easier to code this common complex process with discrete space rather than using, you know, differential equation. That's, that's a really complete different way of working. And uh, this allowed to build quite sophisticated simulation yet constrained by the memory and the computational power of that time. So discretization allow you to, uh, uh, you know, to save memory somehow. But again, you can discretize the system in two different ways. And even if you use an array-based programming language like APL, you can still have arrays of coordinates and arrays of velocities, and it's still perfectly suited for array manipulation without discretizing the space itself. Yeah, but if you discretize the space, you, you eliminate the problem of understanding who is interacting with who. Or you somehow move, from the modeling point of view, you move the problem of deciding who is interacting with you by the problem of determining how close two objects are. You move this problem to the problem of uh, just uh, throwing a dice in a probabilistic Monte Carlo way of simulating things. So you just, it, it's a modeling choice somehow, rather than, you know, computing who is closer and deciding who has to interact and who uh, should not, you make everything, uh, you, you give all cells which are on the same lattice site the uh, chance to interact with a different probability, and you somehow rank the probability in a kind of a uniform way. Now, in, in, in the first case, with the real coordinates, you would ranking according to the distance, for example. The closer, more likely to interact. In MSIM, you don't have this. You have, it's like if you have same equidistance. Uh, so you give all, all of them the same probability. I think Sidon and Chilada were more concerned about the logic of uh, of the immune response rather than the physics of the co- uh, the diffusion and, uh, you know, this kind of physical kind of process. They were more interested in understanding which receptor was the one who would have emerged as the one, the useful one, you know. So they, uh, they just disregarded these aspects. I took it this way. Yeah. And you, you made an, an excellent point that uh, if you have uh, continuous coordinates that you just hold, hold in an array, then at every step, determining which uh, agents are close to each other and which agents should interact. So that becomes a quadratic complexity problem because you have to analyze order of n square over two distances, uh, com- compute yeah. them, right? And I imagine in order to find that, you would use some kind of uh, clever data structure like KT tree or something like that. So, do you, yeah. so you said that right now you're modeling coordinates as continuous. So do you use any of those uh, tricks to find this quadratic complexity, or how does it work in your model, in your current model? No, actually, no, actually, I I don't use uh, a, a continuous I, I, uh, coordinates. I still have discrete coordinates, but mm-hmm. um, for computational reason makes my life easier because uh, I learned that uh, uh, the biology of the problem have more meaning. I mean, in the future, I mean, in my, if I had, uh, 
you know, a, a ball, a magic ball, I would, of course, love to build an IMSIM version in which the topology plays a very big role. Uh, uh, but it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a, it, this leap is too big. It's, it's gigantic. There's so much complexity to take into account when modeling tissues and, uh, changes in the, uh, you know, uh, permeability or whatever diffusion and uh, density, which it's just beyond uh, my, uh, uh, ability and uh, uh, as a matter of fact i don't know of anyone who is able to uh, to make an immune model with such complexity so i focused on other more biologically oriented problems uh, or disease oriented problems rather than this technical uh, aspect uh, which i'm sure sooner or later will be solved but uh, on on large on very large computers uh, by people who is definitely more skilled than me in in building complex models. Yeah, fair enough. But I I just I can't resist to interrogate you a little bit more about this technical uh, issues. So you mentioned the topology, and this is another thing that I was thinking about because I think in one of the papers you say that you model only like one uh, cubic millimeter or a couple of cubic millimeters of uh, the uh, lymph node space, right? So we're not talking about like blood and lymph vessels and capillaries. It's just uh, some space where all the agents can meet. And um, so I have two questions uh, regarding this. Well, first, um, I think you apply your model to modeling like whole organisms. For example, I saw your recent paper where you were one of the co-authors about a vaccination of sea bass. Mm-hmm. So the, there, uh, you or, or the uh, primary authors just apply this model, which models essentially like a tiny volume of the lymph node to the whole organism, whole, whole fish. Uh, yeah. And so how, how realistic is that? Because clearly when you try to model the immune response and the result of this vaccination in this big organism, clearly those things, they, they must matter a lot, right? Yes, yes. Now, I, that's exactly the point uh, which interests me uh, very much. This, uh, it's, so, as you said, in SIM at the origin, but even, let's say, today, is represent a portion of the lymphatic system in general without specifying what it is. Certainly is a piece, it includes a piece of a lymph node. But not only that, because you have the presentation of the antigen, which takes place in the lymph node, but you also have effectors activities, immune system effects in the simulation. So this means that you are representing also some tissue, okay? So the volume is the mathematical representation of a piece of the body. It doesn't say which piece. It could be all body compressed in one piece. So you are neglecting all the diffusion, all the trafficking, everything. This is what the model is is up to, to date. But I understand that there are a lot of problems connected to the migration of cell, what it's called cell trafficking. The timing the, of the response is very much dependent on how efficient this trafficking is. And in fact, if you have a person, uh, you know, a, a patient which lies on a bed, his immune system is much weaker than someone who moves and do sports just because the moving, the trafficking of cells in the channels and in the tissue is much more efficient when you move because of osmosis in the lymph channel. So for this reason, I am trying since a few years to uh, extend MCM to cope with realistic anatomies. That's why we developed a multi-thread version in which we can have more compartments, let's say, 
and we we have the trafficking of cells between compartments in this way we could represent a, a, a lymph node now we have the computer power to represent the whole lymph node plus piece of a tissue for example skin or uh, you know another place where the antigen infects for example now, this is what I want to do, but uh, I'm facing a lot of problems because uh, there's uh, knowledge missing there, there are um, technicalities to be faced, how long it takes a cell to go from point A to point B, and uh, all these kind of things. But once we will solve all this, then we, it will be just a matter of computational uh, memory and uh, and speed to implement a realistic anatomical representation of a body. We try to uh, start from NMR uh, uh, data to reconstruct the lymphatic uh, structure, but we learned that it's impossible to know where the vessels are just because they are too small. There's no uh, detection imaging technique which is able to tell you where the lymph channels are. So you, you, you can, in principle, know uh, where the lymph nodes are, but you don't know how they are connected. So this information is useless. Either you, you, you guess, you construct a network, or you, you can't do these things. So I, I, I agree with you that this is, uh, I think it's probably the future of the immune system simulation, immune system modeling. One, one possible way, which is what I call the anatomical detailation, how would you say, specification of details uh, of the anatomy. There are other, other ways to enlarge this, which is the molecular way, but that's another story. So you mentioned uh, modeling different compartments in connection to the multi-threaded implementation. Is that the case that you map each compartment to its own thread? Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case, when you have like either no topology at all or this very simple topology of uh, several compartments that uh, interact with each other, I'm wondering um, how much benefit does it bring to model the the space at all, the spatial coordinates? So one alternative way that I can imagine is just uh, talk in terms of probabilities. So if two cells are in the same compartment, they they have the same uh, like cons constant average probability of interacting. And so you could replace modeling. Like you said you were not interested in physical details, so you can go even further and just say, I don't know where these molecules are, but I know that on average they have this probability of interacting, of like meeting within the space. So uh, did you consider that? Yeah, but this is exactly the kind of consideration we do when we, you know, write a paper and we have to explain the referee that we are representing a piece of the whole body. So we just say we are compressing the whole body in a, in a, in a place. And then the problem is to determine how likely a, a, a cell in, in meet in the same point. But on the other hand, we also understood that uh, sp special uh, effects are meaningful. For example, when you simulate a viral infection, one thing is to have the viral spread all over, so all over your volume or your space, so that the probability to be found and all the other, uh, you know, events which are necessary to, uh, to bring to the immune response, uh, which also depend on cell meat, um, are very likely. And the other thing is to inject the virus in a single point, maybe in a place where immune cells are not so, you know, present. Yeah. So this would, in certain situations, would be the equivalent of giving, you know, a certain advantage to the virus, which could make a difference between life or death. 
So special uh, uh, compartmentalization of tissue plays a big role in the immune response. And uh, I think these are, uh, I mean, I'm very curious to to really simulate these aspects. I want to simulate an infection in, in the skin and that everything which takes cells moving from the lymph node to that point and going back to the lymph node to present the antigen, all this machinery, which takes time because it may make a difference. And if you think at cancer, for example, the concept of metastasis, it's very much uh, linked to these problems. The immune system has difficulties in coping with something which moves around and uh, escapes. There's a, there are immunological sanctuaries, places where the immune system can't go or goes very, uh, you know, uh, rarely. Th- this kind of topics, I think, are uh, very, very much influencing the outcome of a disease. It might not be, you know, theoretically, immuno- in terms of theoretical immunology, very relevant, but it's very relevant in terms of uh, the outcome of a disease. So medically, it's more relevant. That's what I want to say. Yeah, the the virus example is a very good one, very convincing. So when you model the virus infection, do you model like the virus particle infecting one cell and then uh, incubating and, and the burst? Do you model all those things? Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Yeah, no. So there are there are two two types of uh, this incubation can bring the cell to burst, as you said, which is uh, it happens for certain viruses now Ebola, I guess, but there are also other possibilities like uh, HIV, which uh, buds outside the cell, so that the cell doesn't die, but it keeps you know uh, producing virus all the time. No, I, I have both these two mechanisms, and it's nice to see that it really makes a difference in the outcome of, of uh, an infection. Mm-hmm. Do you also model, like, can, can an infected cell present an antigen to maybe a killer T-cell? Yes, I mean, uh, infected cells have, uh, are equipped with the class 1 uh, HLA molecules, so they, mm-hmm. they present it. So all those things like uh, immune escape is taking place in uh, simulation. If you have a virus which mutate, it might acquire a mutation which prevent it to bind to the HLA molecule, for example. So it will basically become invisible to the immune response. Yes. Ah, very cool, very cool. So it looks like your model can do can model a lot of uh, things by now. But was there any time during this long history that you actually simplified something that you decided to maybe remove some biological phenomenon because it turned out to be either false or not important for the simulation? Uh, well, I I choose to uh, since I'm a computer scientist. Is my approach is to add complexity, as you can imagine. It, I I see in sim as a, as a, an architecture, like an operating system, which has many things, many components. Now, these components can be, of course, commented out in your source code, or even you know skipped with an if statement. So my approach is. Let's put this new thing inside and see how it fits with the overall thing. Now, sometimes it happened that I add something which brings a lot of problems, as you can imagine, parameter tuning and uh, everything. I use it and then I decided not to use it anymore, for example. This happened with the hypermutation, for example. I don't use it often. I sometimes use it, but it's there. It's still in the code. It's still in this operating system. I can use it or not. So to answer your question, uh, I would say I, I, yes, sometimes I just skip things, but this does not prevent me to implementing it an approximate version of it. You know what I mean? You never remove code. You just uh, put it into an if statement. Yeah, something like that. Or I, I bifurcate the version of the code because I know that in previous version I had that that uh, uh, code and I can always go back and grab it if I want. 
So somehow I remove it, but it's like if it's still there somehow. Yeah. In my mind, it's still there. Well, I imagine it should be in the version control, right? So you can always go back and find it. Yeah, something like that. And my understanding is that you also have like a domain-specific language for describing various new cells and new molecules and their interactions. I was reading your 2001 paper, and it has the snippets of code like interaction between B and TH, specific yes, yes, match condition, action. So that looked like a domain-specific language to me. Now, no, I, I, that, that kind of... Uh... Pseudocode was to express the, the, the fact that uh, there are templates in the code that you can use. So you don't have to rewrite everything. You can cut and paste the function and change it to, to customize as you want. So you are somehow halfway in writing the whole thing mm -hmm. from scratch. You don't have to rewrite everything. But on the other hand, this approach is not so straightforward to generalize. So is this snippet of code that I see in the paper, is it like a direct quotation from the source code or is it you sort of paraphrasing the C function? Or is this a piece of executable code? No, I think it's more I paraphrase the C function. I somehow simplified. I removed some some complication probably. But my my experience, because I had many students in these years that have used the code, and uh, my my experience is that after I explain them what are the main uh, data structure of the program and the the logic in adding new entities, they can very easily go on by cutting and uh, you know copying and changing these functions. They are able to do it quite easily. Of course, another thing is to have the overall view of the whole code, but they definitely, they can definitely focus in, a, in the interaction only if they are interested in biology and implement new functions, biological functions. All the rest might be technical details. They can, you know, uh, leave it aside. That's my experience with them. If a student wants to implement their own small immune system simulator, maybe over a weekend, where would you advise to start? Like, what's a minimal model of the immune system that is still interesting? What are the crucial agents and interactions to include there? I think I would use um, the pathogen, of course, the B cells, if you want to produce antibodies, the T cells, if you want to implement uh, intracellular pathogens like viruses, and then you need the T helper cells. So you need at least these three things, and perhaps macrophages. So four, four types of cells. Mm -hmm. So with B, T cytotoxic, T helper, and macrophages, or dendritic cells, one antigen-presenting cells, let's say you could have the adaptive immune response. Another thing is if you are interested in simulating uh, the innate immunity, for example, in that case, you don't need B, you don't need T helper. It's much easier, let's say. Mm -hmm. So what, what would be the simplest test that your immune system model is working correctly? So I imagine you would want to model like maybe secondary immune response or what would be the, the main test? The, the secondary immune response is uh, usually the, the main test that your adaptive uh, immunity is working properly, developing memory. And uh, another test I usually do is the cross-reactivity. This because I have cross-reactivity in my model, but you might not need if you want to make a really a very simplified version of an immune system model. You can represent only one receptor and one type of pathogen. But if you want something, you know, more generic and you want to model more infection at the same time, then you need to have uh, more diversity, more receptors. And then you get the cross-reactivity concept, something which can recognize 
virus 1 and also virus 2 but with the less with the lower affinity for example now this this kind of experiment uh, to understand how cross reactivity is working in your model is also interesting cool okay i think we'll be wrapping up is there anything that uh, i didn't ask you about that you would like to talk about in in this context yeah, because I spent some time to to develop in sim in a way that not even uh, Salada is enthusiastic about because it's very, very advanced, but many other people recognize it's very useful. And actually, I got in contact with uh, people from pharma industry, which are definitely more into those direction. And it's the following. Since the the time, the 90s, so the time of those immune system simulation, Chalada and Sidon model, etc., let's say from there on, bioinformatics has literally exploded, right? So it's a new, complete different scientific area, I would say, okay? Yeah. Okay, so which is, which is probably uh, running much uh, uh, quicker if, uh, than uh, mathematical biology in general or, or the simulation of the immune system. So there is much more interest there, much more knowledge. Uh, um, many uh, tools have been developed. So that my point is, why don't we join these forces? Why don't we join these tools and we use the simulations we have developed with the bioinformatics tool and do some unified tool with which people can experiment immune system responses to a pathogen which is not represented with binary string. So I, I spent some time on it. I, I met people which are very good in uh, developing uh, uh, prediction tools peptide prediction tools, binding areas of the antigen prediction tools and this kind of things. And uh, with them, I developed a customized version of IMSIM, which is able to represent the pathogen not with binary string, with the, but with the amino acid strings. I think this is a gi giant leap into the field, but there are, of course, uh, huge problems which are connected with this uh, prediction tool, with their, uh, what do you call it, efficiency, or they're not able to predict everything with 100%, of course, uh, precision, okay? So the prediction that IMSIM will give when you run a simulation will is is not so high. That's the point. You can't point your finger on a specific peptide of the HIV as the one on which you should build a vaccine because your way to discover discovering that peptide is uh, is not um, too correct okay but again i am a computer scientist so when i look at this problem i see what i can do and from my side i can prepare the architecture to host new prediction algorithms in a very plug and way, plug and play way. So I did this study, which has been published years ago on PLOS Computational Biology, which has been, let's say, um, welcomed by some people, but uh, not too many as I expected. But uh, at the same time, I believe that uh, more and more people is moving into that direction. So sooner or later, they will realize how important was uh, this work. At least this is uh, a hope. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so I think uh, this podcast may contribute to spreading this idea and, and awareness of it. That might be cool. Actually, there is a server, uh, I, I could uh, give you the, the web address of it, in which people f from all over the world can run simulation of IMSIM and uh, by putting specification of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, primary sequence of a virus or a bacteria or a vaccine and, and perform immunization experiments. So it's a live, it's a live simulation, which is available. Interesting. Yeah. We should, we should put it in the, in the show notes on the website. And, uh, continuing this theme, what is the current relationship between you and Chilada? Does Chilada still work in this space? And do you, do you compete? Do you collaborate on this? 
Yes, yes. I mean, we are writing an article and together, and uh, he's an unbelievable, he's a real scientist. I mean, at, at his age, he's, uh, has the, he has the same enthusiasm <laughs> as uh, when I met him. It was decades ago, and he's a great uh, scientist. He's really, I consider uh, my scientific father somehow, because... The thing I have done uh, have been under the umbrella of this immune model. Let's say many things I have done. I, I did also something else, but and uh, it's always uh, nice to to see how he, his view of the the model itself. So at the beginning he was not at the beginning. Uh, yes, at the beginning he was working with Phil, but uh, from a certain point Phil. Because of uh, Phil left us uh, prematurely, he started Salada started to collaborate with other people, uh, with another Italian guy who developed this uh, version of uh, C version of Imsim, starting from pieces of my code, and uh, other people uh, also have developed that other version of C C Imsim thanks to my code somehow and so Shalada collaborated with uh, with uh, one of this group first and now he's collaborating with me but he still you know has this will to exploit this uh, computer model cool yeah well uh, Filippo it was very interesting to talk to you thank you for coming on the podcast thanks to you Roman 